Well, good morning. It is a, a pleasure to be with you. As mentioned, I am Dan Syvertson, the campus pastor over at Highland Park. And uh, being the last Sunday of the year, I consider myself Pastor Mike's closer. And I will look to slam the door shut on what has been a wonderful 2015 around Christchurch. Think about it. So many people continuing to grow in life-changing relationship with both God and others. The good news is being proclaimed. And so many of us are engaging in good works in the community around us. And I'm sure for each and every one of us, 2015 has been a little bit different. For some of you, maybe this has been a banner year. Maybe something new has begun, whether it's a marriage or a new life, a new job. For others, it's a year that you would like to forget. Maybe it was a year where sickness and death came a bit too close to your doorstep. Maybe it was a year where you lost your job or you've been fighting a long line of unemployment. For each and every one of us, there's a story that 2015 holds. One that is continuing to go on. And as we usher in 2016, often a new year brings a renewed sense of hope for something different, maybe something better. Many of us are going to have New Year's resolutions where we're going to try and change something for the better. 2015 also saw a lot happen around us. Think about the stories in sports. Serena Williams and Jordan Spieth came close to the Grand Slam in women's tennis and men's golf. American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown this year. The Chicago Cubs almost won the World Series. The Chicago Blackhawks continue to add to their dynasty with another Stanley Cup. And the New England Patriots prove to all of us yet again that they still are a bunch of cheaters. (laughs) In the entertainment world, Adele released a new album. Star Wars made a return. David Letterman retired. Pixar made a movie, Inside Out, that makes adults cry. The Price is Right accidentally gave a car away this year. And Steve Harvey accidentally crowned the wrong Miss Universe. And then there's the stories in the news that touch all of us. The plane crashes, the terrorism, the Supreme Court ruling, civil unrest, the refugee crisis, the climate change conference in Paris. So much that goes on that impacts you, me, and so many others around the world. And with all this going on around us, it's easy to be, easy to be distracted by one important truth, that this is not our home. 2015 could also be referred to as the year of 1989. Taylor Swift was on her 1989 tour all year. And now when you Google the year 1989, you get Taylor Swift. 1989 was also the year that Back to the Future 2 came out. And as you know, they were looking ahead to 2015, making some predictions. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Well, we know they got flying drones right, but they got hoverboards wrong, maybe getting closer. They got mobile payments right, but they got flying cars wrong. They got video calling right, and we all know what they got wrong, the Cubs winning the World Series. People love to make predictions. Politics, stocks, sports, landing on Mars, climate change, the end of the world. You name it, and someone wants to predict it. In fact, the next movie prediction is another film from 1989, Ghostbusters 2, in which there was a scene where they predict the end of the world. 2016, 
Valentine's Day. And so now we will wait to see if Ghostbusters 2 accurately predicts the apocalypse. And men can just breathe a sigh of relief because next year we don't have to worry about Valentine's Day. But what if I gave you more than a prediction? A guarantee, a promise that in 2016, it is going to be the year of Chicago in the sports world. I, came, I moved here from New England when the Celtics and the Bruins and the Patriots and the Red Sox were all winning championships. Well, what if that's next year? What if I can promise you, guarantee you, that next year, in June of 2016, the Blackhawks will continue their run with the Stanley Cup championship? And that'll be quickly followed by the Bulls knocking off the Cavs and the Warriors and winning their first championship since Michael Jordan left town. But not to be outdone by a summer of do- after a summer of dominance. In a cold day in November, the Chicago Cubs are going to beat the Chicago White Sox to win their first World Series in a very long time. And Bears fans, I've got nothing for you. <laughs> but what if I could guarantee it? Would that change how you react today? Maybe the losses and the injuries wouldn't be so devastating. Sports radio would certainly be a much calmer place. I mean, can you just imagine Siler walking around knowing the Cubs are going to win the World Series? You see, when your future is secure, when you know what's going to happen, it makes today a whole lot easier. But no guarantees, no promises, just predictions, possibilities, maybe. And as a Mets fan, you will never hear me predict the Cubs winning the World Series anytime soon. When it comes to our future, there's only one place we can turn for a guarantee. Not a prediction, not a possibility, but a promise. A promise about your future, about mine. A promise that changes the way we live today. Will you take your Bibles out and turn with me as we look at this promise? Revelation chapter 21. I'd like to read it for you. Verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. A promise, a guarantee. Men, women, and children who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, your future is secure. This is what lies ahead for you and for me. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a look at these verses a little closer and and help us understand what it says here in Revelation 21 about our future. 
We see right off the bat in verses 1 and 2, this new heaven, this new earth, this new Jerusalem coming down. Jesus preparing a place. Common wedding tradition is for the groom to see the bride for the very first time when she's walking down the aisle. Or maybe since you're doing pictures, you set up a special time and place for the groom and the bride to see each other for the first time. And while this is leading up to this moment, the bride is getting ready. She bought her dress and the groom probably hasn't seen it. She's getting her hair and her makeup and her nails done, all to prepare herself to be seen by her groom. She is adorning herself for her groom. And this is the same picture John gives us of what's going on right now, this place that's being prepared for us. Pastor Mike has often said two things about eternity. First, eternity changes everything. And second, heaven is poorly marketed. This place that I talk about, this place where we're going, this place where you and I will spend forever, and we know so little about it. And I would say, really, there's two reasons why we know so little about it. First, it's impossible for us to fully understand and grasp what eternity in heaven is going to be like, what this new heaven and this new earth will look like. We, we long for it, but we're not quite able to fully grasp it. But the second reason is we really don't take the time to look at what the Bible has to say about it. And the Bible says an awful lot. Maybe you're a lot like I was. We're growing up, high school and college, you just didn't open the book of Revelation. It didn't make sense. It was a little scary. I remember as a child, my dad was a pastor, and I would sit in the pew of the church. And I, I remember every now and then I would sit in that pew, and I would try to imagine living forever. What would I do forever? And I would get so nervous, and I'd get these knots in my stomach. Right? We don't know, and so for, therefore we avoid and we try not to think about. And yet the Bible says so much about the new heaven and the new earth. Christian author Randy Alcorn has spent a majority of his life studying what the Bible says, wrote the book aptly titled Heaven, in which he gives us a beautiful picture of what's in store for you and I. Maybe that would be a great place for you to start, to have a better idea of where you're going, because this is not our home. We get a little glimpse of it here in this verse. First of all, we see new heaven, new earth. That means it's going to be familiar to us. It's not going to be this drastically different, unrecognizable world. A lot of what we see today is a lot of what we'll see forever. We see the new Jerusalem, so we know that cities are going to be a part of this new world. We get a picture. It says that there's no more sea, and that's different. That's interesting. Compared to this world, not having the seas will certainly be something to get used to. But then we see in verse 3, what else is going on in this place? And that is that God is going to dwell with us. And don't miss this. Because this has not happened since he was dwelling with Adam and Eve in the garden. And sure, there's been glimpses of it throughout history. He was in the cloud of fire that the Israelites followed. He was in the tent of meeting in the tabernacle that they built. Today, he dwells with us through the Holy Spirit, but it is not the same. First Corinthians says, for now we know in part, but then we will know in full. I mean, you see the words in verse 3, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
right alongside you and I in this new heaven and this new earth. The sin will be gone, the barrier will be broken, and God will once again dwell with us. Totally different, beyond our imagination, but something yet to look forward to. And what will that include? What will dwelling with us be like? Well, in verse 4, we get a small picture. He will wipe away every tear. This is one of my favorite pictures of what's in store for my future. This moment where God will stand with me and wipe the tears off my face. And I believe that the tears that will be streaming down my face in that moment will be tears of relief. Of finally, it was all worth it. Last week, my wife and I had the opportunity to go back to New Hampshire where we lived and our friend was having her 17th birthday party while we were there. And we had the chance to surprise her and just show up. And when we walked into their home, she turns, she sees us, and she starts to cry. And we hug and we embrace. And these are tears of, I missed you. It's been too long. Where have you been? Those are the tears I picture on my face when, I, when God wipes them away. I've missed you. It's been too long. Finally dwelling together. And then it goes on to say that when the tears are wiped away, that's it. No more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. And then in verses 5 and 6, he gives us this proclamation. I am making all things new. Everything that was wrong and broken and messy with the former world will be gone. Sin will be no more. And as a result, he will get to announce all things new. And then he's going to say, it is done. And he tells John, he says, write it down. This is trustworthy. It is done. Over. And now it's time to enter in to this new world. And he's going to offer us a drink. A drink from the springs of the water of life. And he's going to offer that to us for no payment. Think back to verse 1, right? There's going to be no seas. And that's going to be different because 75% of our current world is made up of water. But in this new earth, that won't be the case. We rely on water. We need water to survive. But in our new bodies, that won't be the case. All we're going to need is this one drink that he's going to offer you and I. If you're thirsty, drink from the living water. And he's going to continue to do what he's already doing right now. He's going to offer it to you and I with no payment the grace of God at its fullest extent. As he does today in the offer of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, take. If you want it, take it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn it. It's yours. I would like to give this to you. And there we will be offering, being offered this drink from the spring of the water of life. And then in verse 7, we get the culmination of our relationship with God. He will be our God. We will be his son. Sons and daughters, children of the Most High King. A theme that gets traced throughout the entire Bible, this idea of being adopted into God's family. Just as he had told the Israelites, you will be my children and I will be our God. It gets traced throughout the Bible. Paul picks it up in Romans, says that we are eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons of God. 
And why is the adoption theme so important throughout Scripture? Because it shows us just how loved we are. The love of a father. Who would rescue us from the sla- being slaves of sin and death and move us into sonship. Sons of God, heirs with Christ. Our inheritance, eternity in this new heaven and this new earth. A promise, a guarantee, your future, my future, is secure. And Revelation 21 gives us this picture of what we can expect. A small glimpse into where we're going. How often have you taken the time to think about where you're going? That this is not our home, that there's so much more that awaits us. And what, what does that do to us today? If Pastor Mike says eternity changes everything, how? Why? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at four implications that I believe these verses have on, for you and me today. And the first is that preparation is underway. This new heaven and this new earth that is being adorned like a bride for her groom is going on as we speak. You may remember John chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples and he says to them, I'm going to go away for a little while. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. It's going to have many, many rooms, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to bring you there with me. This very place that John heard Jesus talk about is now the vision that John is having, this new heaven, this new earth, this new Jerusalem. Jesus is there preparing it as we speak. And we have to pause here, and I want to ask you a question. Do you trust that everything Jesus has to say? Throughout the year, we've heard a variety of amazing claims that Jesus made about himself, about God, about you, about me. And oftentimes, we like to pick and choose what Jesus says, what we like, what we don't like. This works for me, but this doesn't. Well, this is one of those places where we like what Jesus has to say. He's preparing a place for us. And he's going to come back and he's going to get us and he's going to bring us there. But right after this exchange, the disciples ask Jesus, well, how do we get there? How do we know? Where do we go? Jesus says, you know. And this is where Jesus is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. So Jesus is preparing this place and tells us that he's the only way in. Recent statistics show that 50% of Christians still think that other religions lead to God. And I would say we're playing a very dangerous game. If I'm going to say that I'm with Jesus, that his death atones for my sins, that he is raised from the dead, he is preparing a place for me, and he's going to come back and get me. And at the same time, I say, but you know what? Get there any way you want, because your God probably works for you too. Knowing that that's not what Jesus said. And that the message we should be sharing is that Jesus is preparing a place, and he's the way to get there. There is no other way. 
Brothers and sisters, it is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by the grace of God, his death and resurrection on the cross that secures your future. Not only is he preparing a place, but he's preparing us. Paul would say in Philippians, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in your life. He is doing things to prepare you for his return. And sometimes we get to see these things very visible. We see exactly what God is up to in our life. And and, and and it's good to see him at work. Then there are other times where we don't. We have no idea what he's doing. Sometimes those become some of the darker days. We ask the question, God, what are you doing? At the end of 2014, as we were entering into 2015, this is where my wife and I found ourselves. Jamie mentioned that this year we brought our daughter home. She was born on April 2nd, and we adopted her on April 8th. But a year ago, we were waiting, and it was not going to plan. It was a lot harder than we ever thought it would be. Multiple times matched with birth parents only to have them change their mind. And I remember moving into 2015 and just wrestling with God. What are you doing? What's the point? Why now? Why this? And maybe that's where you find yourself today. God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. Take faith. Whether seen or unseen, God is at work in your life. He is not only preparing a place for us, but he is preparing you for his return. And that leads to the second implication, that everything will be worth it. As I mentioned earlier, God will wipe away our tears. And I see those tears as tears of relief just streaming down my cheeks where all the pain and suffering that we are forced to deal with in our lives will come into full view as we stand before God, dwelling with him, getting ready to be welcomed into a new place. And we will see that it is all worth it. Now, some of you are dealing with some tremendous pain and suffering right now. Maybe it is sickness or death the loss of a job or unemployment. Maybe it's the new realities of the world that we live in, a hostile political environment, terrorism, financial uncertainty, civil civil unrest. There is so much to look around at and be discouraged by and even afraid of. But in the midst of all that is wrong, I ask that you would just stop and pause and look forward to the day when God will wipe away those tears coming down your cheek. Paul would say in Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I'm not saying to minimize the realities of your life today. I'm saying embrace them. Put them in their rightful place before God and know that it will all be worth it. That God is at work in your circumstances. And you will have the wonderful opportunity to have the tears that will flow from these circumstances wiped off your face by God himself. So preparation is underway. Everything will be worth it. And the third implication that I have for you is that all things will be new. 
And let's be honest, we love new things. New car, new TV, new vacation spot, new phone. We are always going after the next big thing. And the reality is there's probably an unhealthy amount of consumerism in our lives today. But at the heart of our desire for the next big thing is that the next big thing will finally fulfill us. We long for the next big thing to be the last big thing. And we think that when I get this new thing, that will give me contentness and happiness. But it always, always, always falls short and leaves us wanting the next big thing. And so here we find ourselves as he declares all things new. And for the first time, finally, we will stop wanting more. When he says, it is done, we will no longer be longing for anything else. You see, Jesus' proclamation that he is coming again isn't just what we're waiting for. It's what we're longing for. It's what we want. It's what you and I go after every single day, hoping that we'll we'll get to stop. Because we are wired for eternity. We are wired for this moment where he is going to say, it is done. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And in his last book, The Last Battle, this is what he says. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Lewis was never shy about the fictional world of Narnia being an analogy to the Christian life, and here he is giving us a picture of eternity. Your future is secure, or every chapter will be better than the one before. A promise, a guarantee, It's going to happen. The day is coming. The new heaven, the new earth, tears being wiped away. But what does that do to us today? Why does eternity change everything? The last implication I want you to hear this morning is that hope inspires greatness. Since the day Jesus left this earth alive and well and the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, Christians have been doing wonderful things for this world. We've heard it it said here many times. Hospitals, universities, orphanages, so many of them have their roots in Christians trying to make the world a better place. Ebola in West Africa, the refugee crisis in the Middle East, genocide in Rwanda, natural disasters around our globe. Christians do not shrink back. We run to these places, and by the grace of God, we try to help. You see, we have nothing to fear because our future is secure. What would it look like to live a life inspired by the hope of what is yet to come? 
Your future is secure. What will you do now? You can share the gospel with your friend because if they reject you, it's okay. Your future is secure. You can take your money and give it to someone who has a dire need because your future is secure. You can take the time and invest your energy into relationships with other people instead of maybe your work because your future is secure. Ask yourself this question. What are you most worried about? What keeps you up at night? What causes you fear? You see, the answer to this question can often be found in how we spend our time, our money, our energy. Because we are easily driven by fear. Fear causes us to do some things and it causes us not to do others. If I'm afraid of flying, I am not getting on that plane. And yet what overcomes fear? This was a theme that was captured by President Snow in The Hunger Games. Maybe you know the story of Katniss Everdeen, who as she was rising up was becoming a symbol of hope for the people who were being oppressed and pushed down by President Snow. And in the second film, Catching Fire, President Snow is pulling his advisors together and he wants to figure out how to be done with Katniss, how to, how to get rid of this hope. And one of his advisors puts it this way. He says, shut down the black markets, take away what little they have, then double the amount of floggings and executions, put them on TV, broadcast them live, and show fear, more fear. And President Snow's response, it won't work. Fear does not work as long as they have hope. And Katniss Everdeen is giving them hope. Hope overcomes fear. And as followers of Jesus Christ, it's what inspires us to do great things for the world around us. There's a book, Why God Calls Us to Dangerous Places, written by a woman named Kate McCord, which is a fake name. But she quit her job after 9-11 in a corporate office, moved to Afghanistan where she would do 10 years of humanitarian aid work. And now she's back here running an organization that provides the same type of help to others who are giving humanitarian aid in some of the most dangerous places around the world. What causes Christians to go towards the danger instead of away from it? She says, we face squarely and honestly what it means to follow Christ into a world that does not know him. And as we do so, we find answers that move beyond romance and excitement. We find purpose, comfort, and the peace that Christ offers. A peace beyond even the horrific circumstances. We find the heart of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is giving us hope. Do you realize that today we are one day closer to that great day? The new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem coming down and God dwelling with us and the tears being wiped away and him declaring all things new and finally it is done. And we will no longer be waiting for our adoptions as sons and daughters of the Most High King. This is a future that we can count on much more than the Cubs winning the World Series. 
This is a future that is promised, that is guaranteed, that for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your future is secure. And as we usher in 2016, I would ask that you would join me in waking each day and choosing to live by the hope of our future, of what is yet to come. We are not people who shrink back and are destroyed, but we stand in the face of danger. We go after the world around us, and we seek to let them know who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and that he's coming back to get us. Knowing that our future is guaranteed can change the way we live today. So I ask, join me in choosing to live this way. What does it look like? It's a place where we can love all people. That when danger comes, we won't run away. We will run toward it and help. And then when we're surrounded by chaos, we will provide some stability. And the name of Jesus will be proclaimed, and together we will bring glory to God to the people around us. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, that you've promised to see through to completion. And we await the day when you return and declare all things new. And Father, as we wait, may we be people of courage who stand together with the hope of with what is set before us, proclaiming the good news, engaging in good works, that we, Christ Church, would continue to move forward. It's in your name we pray. Amen.